0: Uh, If you didn't come and serve, man, you missed out. We were able to love on uh, well over a 1,000 people here in our community. And through a partnership with Convoy of Hope, we were able to hand out all those groceries. And uh, we also had enough groceries left over that we were able to stock some area schools' food pantries because several of the principals, they they give um, book bags full of groceries to kids to take home over the weekend because, you know, they they need them. And so we were able to stock those, and we were also able to send several pallets of food to the Christian ministry. So if you served yesterday, if you were part of that, thank you so much. God bless you. Let's celebrate God and what he's been doing through our community, what he's doing through the churches here. And last Sunday, uh, I, gave, uh, I gave you just an update. Uh, we've been uh, partnering with Convoy Hope, and we had a goal for our One Day to Feed the World offering. And if you want to know more about that, you can go to convoyhope.org. You're going to hear a little bit more about Convoy today, but last week I stood up and I said, hey, we're $2,000 away from our goal, and somebody here is going to write a check and we're going to meet our goal. Well, don't you know somebody did, and (laughs) that was pretty cool, and so we're able to send off our $15,000 goal to Convoy here soon, and we just thank God for that. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. I've known uh, Troy Davis uh, for quite a while, and Troy, he started... uh, in my, in my relationship with him anyway, he was the district youth director for the, for the teenagers here in North Carolina with the Assemblies of God. And um, recently, like over the past couple of years, I called him, I think it was on a Thursday or a Friday, and I said, hey, man, everybody on our team has COVID, and we need somebody to preach, and he, he came and he preached, and I was so grateful for it. Today, we're inviting Troy back in because Troy is, is, is part of our relationship with Convoy of Hope, and he's going to share more about that and, and what that looks like, but man, we are, we are so blessed to be able to partner with Convoy and we are so blessed to have relationships with leaders like Troy. He's been a youth pastor, a district youth director. God's just using him in mighty ways all across the country. And he's going to bring a word from, from God to us today. And I believe you're going to be encouraged, uh, like when, when you give. I had somebody come up to me yesterday, just really quick. I had somebody come up to me yesterday and say, you know, it's really cool to see Convoy of Hope on the ground. And to be able to, like, partner with an actual person. It's not just this entity that we give to or that we believe is going, like we actually seeing it and partnering with it. I thought that was such a, such a cool comment, uh, such a cool experience we had yesterday. But I want you all to give a big AFA welcome. Make it really rowdy and boisterous for my good friend Troy.
1: Good morning. How are you doing? So good to be here today, um, man. We it was it was a great time yesterday. So uh, if you were there yesterday, just thank you for coming out. Thank you uh, for serving. Thank you for doing what you do. Because um, somebody said it this morning, uh, Melissa, I think said it. We get to do this, right? Did I say her name right, Michaela? I'm sorry, Michaela. <laughs> sorry, Michaela. Well, you called me Jones yesterday. Yeah, so. Yeah, you, so I'm gonna just mess everybody's name up today, uh, but uh, Michaela said this: we get to do this, and and the cool thing is, is we get to do this together. I love that that comment because anytime I can show up with one of our churches that are that are actually doing a community event, uh, can I just tell you there's so much joy that comes from that uh, for me, and, and I see it in the church. Because when we do what, the, what God has commanded us to do, when we get out of the four walls of the church and we get into the community, guess what happens? God begins to work in us. And God begins to work through us. And all of a sudden, when we're packing groceries at 7 o'clock in the morning and we're laughing and cutting up, what are we doing on a Saturday morning at 7 o'clock? But we're happy and we're joyful. Why? Because we're doing God's work. Because we're doing the work of the kingdom. And uh, it's just amazing. And so thank you, thank you. Pastor Nate, Pastor Shauna, thank you so much for coming out. Thank you for the organization. I told her, can y'all give her a hand for the organization that took place yesterday? So, man, what a great job with that. And and all the leaders, all the team leaders that organized that, thank you so much for all your hard work that, that took to make that happen. I've got a, a short video um, that I want to show you, and then we'll kind of get in. I want to give a little bit of history and just share with you a little bit about Convoy, and then we'll get into the word. Prepare for mass evacuation. Devastated.
2: Look at the world. Online, in the news, on your drive home from work, you see it. People are suffering. They're doing their best, but it doesn't seem to matter. They feel completely alone, asking, how am I ever going to make it? Is there anyone out there who cares about me? we say yes. At the heart of Convoy of Hope's work is our driving passion to use kindness as a force for change. We are the volunteer delivering relief after a disaster. We are the haircut or a fresh pair of shoes. We are the multitude of people who care about their neighbor and want to do something meaningful that may just impact another person's eternity. So look at the world again, really look at it. Through the hardship and despair and hurting is a hope that is waiting demanding to burst forth and it's not complicated we believe that the problems that are plaguing the world can begin to be solved one small act of kindness at a time every meal served every seed planted and every smile sincerely given adds to the revolution of compassion we are so proud to be a part of so look at the world one more time the problems are big no doubt but the solution oh it's beautifully simple and you you're a part of
1: it. Again, I just want to say thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for what, for what you're doing. Thank you for your partnership. Uh, and, and I'm in a lot of places to where we call partners. But this morning, I'm in a place that we call friends. Uh, North Carolina is a home for me. And uh, it's not home for me, but it's home in ministry for me. Uh, Sixteen years of my ministry was spent in North Carolina, uh, Greensboro and Raleigh and and all over the state. So I truly, it is truly an honor to just to be here with you this morning, not only as partners and friends, but as family of, of North Carolina. So thank you so much. Again, thank you for supporting your faithfulness because your faithfulness not only impacts Locally, what we did yesterday in the communities around the world and through distributions and disaster relief, but it also affects globally what we're doing. So thank you again. Thank you so much. Yesterday was a great display of God in action. Amen. God in action. I love the vision. Uh, I love the vision that that Pastor Nate has that we're to take the church into the community, not to expect the community to come into the church. God has called us to go into the community. And and we even see that the last words of Jesus Christ as he was ascended into heaven after he rose from the grave was what? Therefore, go. Therefore, go. So he didn't ask us to therefore stay and pray and huddle up together. He said, therefore, go and make disciples. Therefore, go and be. And it's it's, it's so good to see when a church gets in. When a community gets it, to therefore go and be the church. Convoy of Hope has a, a long history of displaying uh, Christ and compassion in the community. And this morning, I'm just going to give you a little bit of, of insight to what Convoy does. Because many people know Convoy uh, by distribution or by community or by a disaster relief. Because a lot of times, disaster relief gets the most coverage. But we also do a lot of other things around the world. And first, you know, as family, what happens what happens when you get together as family? When you around the holidays? What happens you, you have that 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 uncle that starts telling you stories, right? Well just just today, just think of me as the old uncle that's just telling you stories. So I, I just wanna talk to you a little bit about the history of our family. The history of convoy and where it all started. If you don't know, um I know I got educated. Uh, I've only been with Convoy for about nine months now and I feel like you know, every week I'm learning something new. I'm learning I'm learning what they do. We've given the convoy. I've been a part of convoy for many years in giving and raising funds. I remember one of the first years as DYD of this uh, state, we did a, a convoy push, and we raised money to, to buy a truck. One of the trucks that you see behind us were all purchased by Speed the Light. So when your teenagers raise money for Speed the Light, and they give to convoy through Speed the Light, guess what they're doing? They're purchasing vehicles that convoy can go. So the truck that actually delivered your food yesterday was purchased through Speed the Light. Isn't that pretty cool? So amen, give God a hand. But convoy was established back in 1994. 1994, a man named Hal Donaldson. God got a hold of his heart and God gripped his heart and Hal Donaldson started started this this mission called Convoy of Hope. Uh, Way back before that, how Donaldson, as a young man, had a traumatic incident happen in his life. His parents got in the car one day, and they left. As any other average day, left to go to some meetings at church. His dad was a pastor, and they left and got in the car to go to meetings at church. Him and his brothers, they stayed at home uh, while they, the parents left to go to church. On the way to church, they were hit head-on by a drunk driver. His father was killed instantly, and his mother was so injured that she spent a year in rehab in the hospital so when the police came and uh to the house to let the, the the boys know and let the community know what was going on because back then it was community stuck together right uh when the police showed up at the house they had to make a decision what they were going to do with the boys with the with hal and his siblings and and so they looked at the community and they said hey we need somebody to step up and help us and and take you know care of these boys while the moms is recovering um, because her near death, just again, just put her in the hospital for over a year, recovering from, from wounds and injuries. And so nobody stepped up, and, and the police officer said, he said, listen, if nobody takes these kids, we're going to have to put them in foster care social services. And so one family stepped up, and they said, hey, we'll take them. We'll take, we'll, take we'll, we'll, we'll take care of them. So this one family turned into a family of four in a two-bedroom trailer to a family of ten living in a two-bedroom trailer. And for the next year, that family took care of Hal and took care of his brothers, and they lived on the kindness of others. People would just drop groceries off at the door. People would just show up and make sure that they got taken care of and and that their needs were met. And then when Hal was reunited, him and his brothers were reunited with his mom, they lived off Social Security and welfare. They lived off government income because they had no insurance, and the drunk driver had no insurance. So they lived, a life, they lived the rest of their life in poverty and debt. And so when Hal comes, and he, he, he's determined to break from this. He's determined to break that cycle of his life. So he works hard. He's a smart guy. Uh, works hard, gets his education, gets a journalism degree, goes to college, and he begins to work on his life dream of being a sports writer. And in the midst of this, and in the midst of him chasing his own personal dreams and, and, and breaking away from that cycle of poverty in his own life, he got an assignment uh, to write an autobiography, and in this assignment, he had the opportunity to fly across the world to Calcutta to to uh, to interview uh, uh, just a small, little, not not very known person, not very well known person named Mother Teresa. And so, yeah, he got to interview Mother Teresa one on one for an autobiography he was writing and researching, and he went through the 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 of questions and just talking to her and just. Kind of getting to the, to the heart of it, and at the end of the interview, Mother Teresa turned and asked, turned to him and said, "Hey, may I ask you a question now?" And and of course, how you know, and and is, if you know how you know how humble and and just quiet and he is, I mean, who you know who's going to say no to Mother Teresa, right? Right. Okay, I'm just making sure y'all know who I'm talking about here. So. <laughs> You know, Hal says, absolutely, ask me a question. And this is the question that she asked that really redefined his life and took him back to that moment in childhood and took him back to the call of God that he had on his life as a child. She asked him the simple question. She said, what are you doing for the poor and suffering? And that question shook him. That question rocked him. And he got on the plane uh, because, honestly, he couldn't answer that because he was chasing his dream. He was chasing that American dream. And God stopped him in his tracks and said, what are you doing for the poor and suffering? And on the way back from the plane, he just, could, he just kept praying and kept asking, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And when he got off that plane that next week, he went to the grocery store. He bought $600 worth of groceries. He put it in the back of his pickup truck, and he went to the poorest neighborhoods in his community. He started passing out groceries because God challenged him and reminded him that when he was growing up it was through one act of kindness that God's love was shown to him. And so through this one act of kindness he started passing out groceries on his own. And now 29 years later, Convoy's become what it is today because of one man that started passing out groceries out of the back of his pickup truck. Don't never never estimate, underestimate one act of kindness. The power of one act of kindness. Never underestimate that bag of groceries that you handed out yesterday to that single mom that's struggling to make it. Never underestimate that one act of kindness that could change her life forever. Because this is a story of Convoy of Hope. And now 29 years later, 29 years later, we just, we just celebrate our 29th birthday at Convoy of Hope. And can I tell you that we're not done yet? Matter of fact, Convoy is just getting started in what God has for the future of Convoy, and you are a part of that. I get to be a part of that, and I'm so honored to stand here today and represent Convoy. But I'm more honored to stand here today with you and link arms with you to reach the world for Jesus. Amen? And so as I'm talking, 29 years later have come, and on our 29th birthday last year, we surpassed a pretty big milestone in Convoy. And it all started out with one act of kindness, out of, with grocery bags out of the back of a truck, serving people in the community. And this past July, we surpassed the 200 million mark of serving people through Convoy of Hope. Can you give God a hand today? <clears throat> Convoy's mantra is this, we have a driving passion to feed the world, and together... Together, church, we are ending the cycle of physical and spiritual poverty. And we're, and you are helping us do that. You are helping us do that. But can I tell you that, that there's much more to do? Can I tell you this morning that we're not done yet and there's so much more to do? When we look around our, our, our global economy, when we look around our society, we know, we understand. We're facing some unprecedented challenges. Through the past several years, our world economy has changed. It's different, and it's changed everything. For the first time in 20 years, for the first time in 20 years, the percentage of the world's population living in poverty has increased. And that increase represents over 119 million people, which now means that 10% of the world's population lives in hunger. 10% of the world's population lives in hunger. Can I tell you that? Poverty is not static, poverty is dynamic, it is growing and it is moving, but at the middle of it all, can I tell you this, at the center of it all, God is still moving. At the center of it all, God is still working, and at the center of it all, God uses the church to do it. At the center of it all, God is in the middle and the church is right there with them, and together we are making a difference. Convoy brings hope to the hopeless. We bring light to some of the darkest places in the world. And I believe that God is stirring up a movement in the last days, not of just signs and wonders, not of just being people being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and salvations, not of just that, but a movement of compassion for the lost, an awakening of the compassion for the lost. God is moving all over our country today. Barna Group put out a... a put out a statistic, said this, out of 13,000 teenagers today, they were asked this question, what type of church would you rather attend? 35% of the teenagers today said they would prefer to attend a church that is focused on compassion because this generation sees the need. This generation has has the heart of compassion. They want to make a difference. And church, guess what? We get to steward that. We get to steward that. We get to raise these teenagers up and disciple them and send them out because they have a hunger. They just need some guidance and direction in what to do. Amen? God is doing something. And and at Convoy of Hope, we're not done yet. But through you, we get to partner together and we get to see some pretty cool things happen. So throughout uh, Convoy, we're known for a lot of things. One thing you may not know about Convoy is we do a big children's feeding program around the world. So we're in 36 countries around the world as of today, and every year that grows. But we're in 36 countries around the world. This past year, we just surpassed the half a million mark in feeding children. And today, we are feeding over 534,000 children a day on a regular basis. Come on, give Jesus a praise. And our goal by 2030 is to be feeding 1 million kids. I believe that we're going to surpass that and we're going to far exceed that number because God is moving, amen, because God is partnering, because God is, is, is putting compassion in our hearts. And we get to feed children around the world. We get to provide children with clean water and families with clean water. We do water initiatives and we dig water wells and we do things like this. Because God has commanded us, and we do this all in his name. We don't do it for the glory of Convoy. We don't do it for the glory of Hal Donaldson. We do it for the glory of God. We do it in his name. Our nutritionists make sure that, that children are, have the proper blends of proteins and carbohydrates and the nutrients that they need every day for school feeding programs that we do. And we do it in his name. One of the first stories that I read when I came to Convoy was was about a young girl named Rosemary. You should see her picture, yeah, right there. And this young little girl named Rosemary—it gets me every time I tell this story, because I believe it's God's heart. Rosemary is one of the children now in our feeding programs in Honduras. But before she learned about our feeding programs, where she found hope, she also learned another lesson in life. She she had memorized what days the garbage trucks would take the garbage to the dump so she could scavenge through trash every day to survive. That's how her family survived. She said this, and I quote, Rosemary said, I used to get happy whenever the airport's garbage truck would come into the landfill. They would bring plenty of leftovers like chicken and soda without any worms in it. And because of our feeding programs today, young boys and girls like Rosemary do not have to dig through garbage anymore. And in beyond, uh, on behalf of over 500,000 kids today around the world, I say thank you. Thank you for your partnership. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your giving. Mother Teresa says this. She says, one person cannot do everything, but everyone can do something. See, Individually, we can't do everything, but collectively, when we get on the same page and the same mindset and the same vision, we can accomplish a lot. We can't do everything, but we can all do something. So we've not only surpassed the 200 million mark of people served last year, but we also surpassed $2 billion worth of food and supplies that were handed out across the world and locally $2 Two billion dollars, amen. So this is a thing. Come on, this is this is a thing. That the truck you gave yesterday, the groceries you gave yesterday, praise the Lord. You know what? In today's economy, in today's market, that equal to about forty to fifty thousand dollars that you handed out yesterday in the community. It's what what it equal to, and you guys were able to do that. So I thank you for your partnership. I thank you, and on behalf of those children, I thank you. In 2022, Convoy empowered 35,000 women and girls through our Girls Empowerment Program. Of those who live in poverty today, 70% of those are women. They're uneducated, they're abused, they're forgotten, they're overlooked simply because of their gender. And at Convoy, we say, we see you. We see you, we hear you. The average woman in Africa spends four hours a day fetching water in addition to two hours a day looking for firewood to boil the water to kill parasites so they won't get sick and they can live a few more days. This is their reality. So we take those young girls off the street. We take those young girls and we educate them. We put them in programs and we teach them how to read. Oftentimes we teach them scripture. We're teaching the principles of God's word. We take them to a, uh, through a 10-month program, and we teach them a trade and how to run a business and the principles of simple business. And we do this in his name. Those young girls are educated, discipled. They learn how to read, and they're introduced to freedom and their dignity. And it's something that they'll never forget, and we do it all in his name. And when hopelessness abounds and people do unspeakable things, a father in India sells his oldest daughter to buy food for the rest of the family. That's the reality that they live in. When you go to Brazil and Colombia and you walk through the refugee camps and you see that they're filled with Venezuelans, you notice a trend that all the young ladies in in that refugee camp have shaved heads because they're selling their hair to buy food. They're selling their hair to buy food. And I tell you that God is not okay with this, and neither should we be okay with this. James chapter 1, verse 27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Amen? God sees them, and God cares. And on behalf of 35,000-plus women that have been empowered through Convoy of Hope and through you, I say, thank you. Thank you. We also train farmers. We have an agricultural program through Convoy of Hope, and we'll go into some of, the, some of the, the, the deepest jungles in the world. And we'll train farmers in their villages, best practices. We provide seeds and training and tools and education. And we help those local farmers learn how to increase their harvest, improve their yields, and to create thousands of meals for their community. They strengthen and bolster their local economy. And a lot of times this agriculture, this, this, this piece of the farming initiative that we do, it, it turns itself, it starts to grow into to where that is the very food that we're feeding the children in the schools. Because one thing I love about Convoy, it's not just about handing out free meals. It's about building sustainability. It's about breaking the cycle. It's not about just handing out something for nothing. We always have a plan, and we always have purpose in what we do, and we do it in his name. But probably the most known thing that we're known for is our disaster relief, boots on the ground, first responders. I remember last year in Florida when Hurricane uh, um, Ian hit, and outside of Fort Myers, we were ready, we were posted, and when the hurricane passed, We came down I-75 the next day and we were boots on the ground less than 12 hours after the hurricane had hit. We were there passing out groceries and passing out food and passing out water and passing out supplies and passing out tarps and passing out clothes and anything that was needed, passing out hygiene kits and diapers and and, and disaster kits and, and all those things that Convoy does. We were there, boots on the ground, and just 12 hours once we got in, Highway 75 flooded. If you remember watching the news reports, Highway 75 flooded and nobody could get in or out, but Convoy was in there. Because convoy, uh, because of the presence of God, because of the favor of God, I believe, convoy strategically and we strategically place ourselves outside of those places to where the storms are coming, to where we're ready to to go. Whenever the storm hits, hope is there. When the storm hits, hope is there. Just recently, we were at all the tornado sites. They're a little bit different because obviously we don't have much response time when a tornado hits. Ours is just more reactive than proactive, so when the tornado hit, less than 12 hours into that, 24 hours, we had supplies on the ground for all those victims that tornadoes ripped through Arkansas and went through Mississippi. We're there when the storm hits. We're there. We're also there when when war breaks out in Ukraine. Last year, through in our response to Ukraine, since since that uh, war broke out, we have ministered to 2.7 million individuals since the war, the war broke out. We have given over 27 million meals. We've given 23,000 baby care kits. We've given over 250,000 hygiene kits, which are basic necessities, toothpaste, deodorant, shampoo, a hand cloth, basic needs, a comb, things that we take for granted every day. People don't have we're sending that over to 28,000 blankets, and we send a million pounds of clothing to those through the response. Through the turkey earthquake response, we've, we've ministered over 50,000 individuals since that response, handed out over half a million meals since that response. We've given out 250 water filters, and are the water filters that we give out can sustain a family up to three years. So we can provide that family with clean water. You can go out to the ditch and get a five-gallon bucket and fill it up with dirty water. You can put a water filter on it, and you can drink it straight out of that filter. And it's good for three years. Now, I understand that serving the poor and meeting the needs and ending poverty isn't the only aspect of the kingdom. I get it. There's discipleship, there's water baptism, there's moving in the gifts of the spirits, there's signs and wonders, there's communion. And we see all these things in the book of Acts. When the early church was birthed, we see that signs and wonders were poured out and people were filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And God moved in a powerful way. But can I also remind you that in the book of Acts, in verse 42, it says, they both devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled in all many wonders and signs that were performed by the apostles' apostles' apostles and all believers gathered together and everything was in common and oftentimes we stop there but the very next scripture says this in verse 45 it says that they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need don't get nervous I'm not asking you to go sell nothing today I'm not asking you to go sell your house or your boat or your car or your four wheel. I'm not asking you to do that. But what I am saying is this. That the kingdom of God in the early church was not about having more. It was about giving more. Do you hear me? The kingdom of God is not about having more. Pastors talked about it this morning. Sometimes we come to church and we talk about money. We talk about money. Every Sunday we talk about money. We talk about money. Yeah, we talk about money because money is where your heart is. Money is where your treasure is. You can see what people love by what they have around them. And we're not asking for your money. We're asking for what God is giving you. Maybe it's not your money. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's getting up at 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning and going to pack groceries for the community. Maybe showing up at the, at the church on a serve day and saying, how can I serve the community? But the kingdom of God is not about having more, it's about giving more. And whatever that giving is to you, you let the Lord deal with you about it. It may be giving your time, it may be giving you resources, it may be giving your gifts and talents. And God is saying, you need to be serving and you need to be leading in the church instead of coming and sitting every Sunday morning. You need to be active in the church, Amen. In the early church of the Assemblies of God in 1906, when Azusa Street broke out and revival broke out all over the country, one of the main uh, uh, people in the center of that was a man called, named William Seymour. And this man whom God somehow influenced in leadership uh, and revival was uh, around him said this, this is what he said, he said, I can tell when someone is full of the spirit and the power of God when they love their neighbor. When they love their neighbor, not by how much they speak in tongues, not by how strong their worship is, not by uh, how, much, how many words of prophecy they give, not by how much money they give. But William C. Seymour said, I can tell when somebody's full of the power of God and the full of the Spirit is when they love their neighbor. When they love their neighbor. Today, I just want to talk a little bit about, I know I've talked a lot about convoy, but I want to talk a little bit about what God says about loving our neighbor, loving our neighbor. If you'll just give me a few minutes this morning just to talk about that, turn your Bible to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, I want to come this morning and disrupt your thinking. I want to disrupt your thinking. I want you to have some di- a, di- a moment of disruptive compassion. You ever been disrupted in life? You ever been interrupted? disrupted your plans just totally messed up and totally off kilter God's done that to me a few times in ministry I'm like God why this is not the direction this is not the plan I had and God said well I've got a better plan for you matter of fact eight eight months ago God disrupted my life eight months ago when I was uh, as a DYD in North Carolina God came down and and God said I have a new assignment for you I said God I'm fine with this one I'm good God said, no, I have another assignment for you. And God disrupted my life. But can I tell you that his, direct, his, his disruption in our lives, what may seem like a disruption, is oftentimes God's direction in our life. Not a disruption. Oftentimes it's God's direction in our life leading us. And I believe this morning God wants to disrupt some people this morning. Because disruptive compassion causes us to love our neighbor as Christ loved the church. Luke chapter 10, verses 28. uh, I'll kind of give you the context before I read what's on the screen there. Here's the context of it. Verse 28, one of the teachers of the law came, and he heard uh, the disciples debating and Jesus talking, and he noticed that Jesus had given uh, them a good answer, and he asked, he said, Of all the commandments, which is the most? In one version it says that this teacher came to test Jesus, he said, in all the commandments, which ones are the most important? Like, really, which ones should I really be following, Lord? Which ones should I really be following? Because we all know in Exodus chapter 20, the 10 commandments were given, right? The 10 commandments, right, that, that were given. But do you also know that there's over 600 commandments in the Bible, in the Old Testament? Jesus narrowed it down to 10. He said, hey, here's 10 for you right here. Just follow these 10 and you're okay. Your top 10 list. We love our top 10 lists. Here's your top 10. But Jesus even went further than this because he was tested by one of the teachers. And he said, listen, let's just, let's just, let's just take all of that off the board. And let me just give you these are the two most important commandments. He said this, love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. To love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And he said, the second is this, to love the na- your neighbor as yourself. There is no gr- greater commandment than these two, because everything else lies on these commandments. When we get these two things right in our life, every other commandment lines up. We won't go steal if we love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves." Because really we're stealing from our neighbors. So if we love our neighbors as ourselves, we're not going to steal from ourselves, right? No, it doesn't make sense. So all the other commandments really hinge on these. And God said, listen, if you get these two, get these two, you will have it. And here's the, here's the, the teacher comes back again at him. He says, because he wants to justify himself. He wants to justify himself. He says, well, who is your neighbor? Well, if loving your neighbor is one of the most important commandments, then who really is your neighbor? And so this is what I want to get into today is how Jesus responds to your neighbor. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Let me get to it so I'll read it. It says, but wanting to justify himself, he said, who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on by the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, and he passed him by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him, and he banged up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was his neighbor? Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among the thieves. And he said he showed he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. So this morning I just want to give you the, the the major ingredients to having godly compassion. The major ingredients to having godly compassion. So you guys mentioned sweet tea this morning. Hallelujah. I'm back in the South. How many of you love some sweet tea? Come on. Can you you just know like, man, I miss that. Midwest, when we say, "Can I get some tea? It ain't sweet." <laughs> and so you have to add your own sweeteners and so I just quit drinking tea altogether cuz you can't you can't substitute. You can't make unsweet tea sweet. It just doesn't work. And uh there's just there's just the key ingredients to that. To, to sweet tea. What's the key ingredient to sweet tea? Sugar. More sugar the better. Hallelujah. When I grew up as a kid in the South, I grew up really in Louisiana, so I'm Louisiana born and raised. Um, but when I grew up in Louisiana, my mom would make she'd have that pot boiling on the on on, on the stove and, you know, she'd have the tea bags in there and they'd settle and it, that tea would be so dark brown. Ugh it'd be dark. It'd be really rich. And then she'd take about a cup of sugar, and she'd just pour like a whole cup of sugar in that and just start stirring it up, and then that, that dark liquid started looking like dark syrup, and then she'd take, she'd take another one. She'd take another cup or half or whatever, you know, just to make top it off, right? So she'd put a little bit more in there and stir it up, and then she'd put it in our, our, our gallon container, and then she'd add the water, and she'd stir it up, and then, you know, it's, sweet tea fresh is really good. Really good. I mean, I, you know, it's the best. You add some ice to it. You got to let it cool down because when you add ice to it, it just waters it down. You got to let it cool down first because if you just go right in, it just messes it up. So you got to let it settle. You got to let, like, let it age a little bit, right? You ever you ever had one of those sweet teas out of the refrigerator that's been in the pitcher for about three days? It's that's that's really too sweet. That's that's it's gone. It's gone after that point, but when it, when it's fresh sweet tea, there's nothing like fresh sweet tea, but the main ingredient to sweet tea is sugar. We all agree it's sugar. It's not it's not sweet tea without sugar. It's not sweet tea with Splenda. It's not sweet tea with with Stevia. It's not sweet tea with sweet and low. Listen, I know that some of y'all's business cards around here, but it's not it's not your tea. It's not sweet tea with sweet and low key ingredient to sweet tea is sugar and in this story when we look at the story of loving your neighbor the key ingredients to loving your neighbor is number one compassion number one is compassion when you look at this story of the good Samaritan and you see the story of the Good Samaritan. We see three characters or three people in this story. We see the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. Now, I want to get into all that. I'm going to let the doctor of the house kind of get into some of that teaching maybe a later time. But there's three people in that story, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. The priest comes along, and he comes down the road, and he sees the man that's broken, that's wounded, that's hurt, that needs help. And he goes to him and helps him, right? No, he doesn't. The Bible says that he walked across and walked to the other side and he walked by him. We don't know why. We don't know if he had a counseling session to get to. We don't know if he had, you know, a, a teaching time to get to or a class. To get. We don't know what the circumstances were, but the Bible doesn't tell us that. But the Bible says that the priest walked right by, kept walking. How many times in our, in our life have we been too busy to see the needs of others? How many times in our, in our life? Has God tried to disrupt our life and we saw it as a distraction, and God was saying, No, I'm giving you direction. Oh, come on now. Do y'all hear me? Is the microphone? The microphone's on, right? Nate, Nate, make me feel good. Come on, mate. (laughs) Come on, Pastor. Shout me down. The key ingredient like in this was compassion. Compassion. The priest had no compassion. He walked right by the man that was broken, wounded, and hurting. Here along comes the, Le- the Levite. So in the story, again, I'm not going to break it down theologically for you, but really, Levite was usually like the assistant to the priest. So here we go. So let's say the pastor's already walked by. He's too busy. Now the associate pastor, the worship leader, comes walking by. The worship leader's walking down, and he's too busy. He's got worship practice to get to. Listen, he's got to make sure worship is just right for y'all. So, God, there's a disruption, and he's like, no, I don't have time for that. I'm walking right by that. I got to go. I got places to be, things to do. Listen, I don't have the resources to help him. That's too great a need for me. Have we ever said that? Oh, God, what can I do? God, what can I do? Like, how can I make a difference in that situation? Listen, test God. Just test God. Just one time. Just say, God, I don't have much, but what I have I give to you. And when God gets it, guess what? He takes it and he shakes it down. He presses it together. He blesses it. He anoints it. And those two fish and five loaves turn into feeding 5,000. Amen? So trust God. It's not about how much you have. It's about what you're willing to give. You get that? It's not about how much you give. It's about what you're willing to give. And so the priest walks by. The Levite walks by. And then we have... The Samaritan, the Samaritan, the outcast, the outcast, the lowly, the people that people shun Samaritans. Remember the story when Jesus walked through Samaria and his disciples were like, Jesus, what are you doing? Where are you? We don't go that way. And Jesus said, I must need go through. That's that new King James, right? I must need go through. Jesus uses the Samaritan. Don't ever feel like you don't have anything to offer. Don't ever feel like you don't have talent in your life. Don't ever feel like you're less than nothing. Don't ever feel like you're second class. Listen, I didn't grow up in a pastor's home. I grew up in a milkman's home. I grew up with a, my dad was an ice cream salesman all his life. Blue collar, that's all I ever knew. I didn't grow up in a preacher's home, but God called me to preach. I didn't have skills. I, I didn't know how to play the guitar. I knew three chords. My dad taught me, my dad was a musician, amazing musician could play anything by ear. He could pick up an instrument and just play it. He heard it, he played it. but that you know what that makes for? A bad teacher. <laughs> if you're a musician, you know what I'm talking about. You can play it but you can't show anybody else how to play it. So I didn't learn how to play that good. I learned three chords. I didn't have a lot to offer, but what I did have to offer when I got saved and, and set free and God set, set me on fire for him and God called me to ministry. I was 17 years old. I didn't know how to preach. I didn't know how to pray. Uh, not well. I knew how to pray, but not well. I didn't, I didn't know how to uh, play an instrument, but I learned those three chords. We played everything in G. And when I, when I found out about a capo, that saved my life. If you're a musician, you know what I'm talking about. We call, it, we call it a cheat bar. But it just, I just used what I had. I didn't have much. And today, if you're in this room, you say, well, I don't have much. Well, just offer what you have. Because whatever you have is good enough. Can I tell you that today? Whatever you have is good enough. Because when God anoints you and God places his anointing and his touch in your life and God fills you with compassion, guess what? God moves in your life and things begin to happen. It's not because of you. It's because of him. So the Samaritan says he saw the man. He journeyed down the road and when he saw him, the Bible says that he had compassion on him. One of the key ingredients to loving your neighbor is first you've got to have compassion you got to have compassion. But can I tell you something? He didn't just only have compassion. The Bible says that he took action. So when he saw him, the Bible says that he went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on him. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So when you have compassion, listen, compassion is always followed by action. When we see the story of the Good Samaritan, he didn't just have compassion on him and say, oh, I'm so sorry, you, you're hurt, are you okay? That, how's does that feel? Does that feel okay for you? Okay, well, I'm going to go get some help. You stay here, I'm going to go get some help, and I'll be right back. He didn't say that. When he had compassion, he took action. The Bible says that he bound him up. He cleaned him up. He put him on his own horse or donkey or camel or whatever they had. The Bible says animal, so. Put him on his own animal and took him to the end. Took care of him. So the second ingredient to, to, to loving your neighbor is not only have compassion for them, but take action. Do something. Do something. Don't just, don't just say something. Don't just, because to, to me, compassion without action is sympathy. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Okay. Now we're now we going about our business. Great. Everybody's sorry. It's time that we step up and we not only have compassion, sympathy, empathy, but we do something about it. And we back that compassion up with action. And that's exactly what you did yesterday. You had compassion. You talked about it. And then you backed it up with action. You showed up. And you bagged groceries. And you handed those groceries out to the community. And you took action. This is what the Samaritan did. He took action. And then the last ingredient to loving your neighbor is this. He not only had compassion, he not only took action, but he made an investment. He made an investment. He made an investment. It says the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii. And he gave them to the innkeeper and sold him. He said, take care of him and whatever he spends, when I come again, I will repay you. He made an investment in that man. He made an investment. So if you're going to love your neighbor, you've got to have compassion. You've got to follow it up with action, and then you've got to make an investment. You've got to make an investment. Whether that's money, whether it's time, whether that's your gifting, your talent, whether that's your resources, whatever that may be to you, he invested in him, and he took care of him. He took care of him. He took him to the end. And this is the part. Oh, I love this part. He says, and when I come again. Come on, y'all, I want you to catch this. So really we all know that this story is really the story about Jesus. It's really the story about Jesus finding us on the side of the road. It's really the story about when we were broken, when we were wounded, when we were hurting, when we were left for dead and nobody cared about us, Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped and had compassion on us. Jesus took action and died on the cross for us. Amen. And Jesus paid a price that we did not owe. Or that we did owe. He did not owe. He paid a debt that he didn't owe. We owed. We owed the debt. He paid that debt for us. And the Bible says that he is coming back again one day. Come on, that excites me. He's coming back again one day. And he's not only, listen, come on, give Jesus a hand. He's coming back again one day. Can have the worship team come up? This is what I love about this right here. When I come again. Jesus, listen, Jesus just didn't die on your sin for the sin that you committed yesterday. He didn't just die on the cross for your sin that you committed 10 years ago or when you were a teenager. Jesus said, listen, I'm paying for that debt now. Here you go, innkeeper. When he went to the cross, he paid for your debt. He paid for your sin. He went to the cross and he died. He died a sinner's death. The death that we should have had, he died on our behalf. And he paid that debt for us. He bound us up. He cleaned us up. One day when I was 17 years old, I was that broken kid. I was that wounded kid. I had no direction in life. I barely graduated high school. And God saw me broken. God saw value in me when I didn't see it in myself. And maybe you're here today and you're broken. Maybe you're here today and you're hurting. You're wounded. You feel all alone. You feel like nobody cares. You're asking for help and you're saying, God, where are you? God says, Listen, I'm here. I'm here this morning. I'm here this morning. And I'm not going to pass you by. I'm going to go and I'm going to have compassion. I'm going to take action. I'm going to invest. Jesus not only paid for the sins that we committed, but when he comes back again, the Bible says that I will repay you. He told the innkeeper, I will repay you for what he does in the future. Come on, somebody. For what he does in the future. Guess what? When you follow Jesus, he just didn't die for the sin that you committed yesterday and today, but he's also died for the sins that you'll commit tomorrow and the next week, and the next week, and the next year. And as long as we follow Jesus and we say, Jesus, you are my Savior. God, I am imperfect. I am flawed. I am messed up. But, God, I'm giving it to you. And Whatever you have, you give to him. God says, I will come back again one day, and what I have paid, I will pay again. Because he loves you so much. If there's anybody in this room today that you're broken, you're hurting, And you just need Jesus to show up. You just need Jesus to walk down the street. You need Jesus to pick you up, to bandage your wounds. Can we all stand together this morning? Can we just stand? I'm going to open these altars up for anybody that needs prayer today. And you just say, I I just need Jesus. I just need Jesus. I need the touch of my Savior. I need the touch of my Father. We're going to open this altar up. We're going to ask you to come down and just seek the Lord.